Every time I feel inspired to write or record or start something new, I think, you know what? Yeah, just don't. Just don't. It's like I've got this twinge of fear every time I feel creative. Um, that reminds me of things that I have experienced in the past few years. And I just wilt. Um, but then I've gone through enough therapy that I know to take a deep breath and remind myself that that feeling of self-doubt and all those uh, emotions that come with that, uh, is, they're not true. I'm not done. I have a lot left to say. I have a lot left to create. I have a lot left to do. But it's really hard retraining yourself to be who you once were, especially when the world just doesn't look like what you remember. I never, ever used to feel this way. I always felt empowered to share my life and invite others to share their lives with me. But you see, a few years ago, there was an event in my life that caused my family and I some pretty substantial hurt. Um, the community that I grew up in, that I love, um, that I always felt very safe in, suddenly felt unsafe. The people that I thought I knew, the people that I thought knew me, many of the people and the relationships that I had and that I respected and loved as a child and into my adulthood were just gone. Those relationships um, were gone. Uh, I realized, I real, and I, I understand, I, I realized that I am privileged and I realized that um, I still am very privileged, but what I mean is when I say this, that specifically I was privileged in believing that everyone I kept in my life was safe. I, I mean, very safe. Uh, didn't worry about going out at all uh, to any community event or anything like that. I just kept this feeling of, um, of feeling safe. Um, but then all of a the sudden, they weren't, those experiences weren't, um, the things that I once enjoyed doing were very nerve wracking for lots of different reasons. Um, the best way to describe it is like having a veil over your eyes for your entire childhood. And then all of a the sudden the veil is taken away and you see how bright the sun is and how it hurts your eyes. And I was very aware of just how harsh and uh, ugly people and things can be. Um, it's very strange um, trying to navigate this life with a different point of view than I had ever experienced before. And honestly, I still find myself struggling to navigate this part of my life without those people um, that I adored um, and always imagined that I would have a part of my life, honestly. Um, it feels like I'm traveling this road, um, but when I look in my rear view mirror, it's not what I remember. Um, it's like it's filled with smoke or something, something just very foreign. And it's a really foreign feeling for my family members too, to sit and watch me dissolve into like a fragment of who I am and who I was because of this... <laughs> immense hurt that I experienced. I mean, yikes. My family witnessed 
and learn from this hurt as well. I mean, they also became aware of the people who are no longer safe for them. Um, and we're still very aware of the people who are no longer safe. So to begin this very special, very different season of the Bee Podcast, I wanted to make myself very clear. I began this podcast intending to grow a community of women to be empathetic, impassioned, and driven to listen and learn from one another. I refuse to let my Roman Empire be the people who lead by way of destruction. My Roman Empire will be wiping my tears, standing back up, and walking past them, and then helping the next person who's hurt. I know there are so many women who know exactly what it feels like to be completely blindsided, betrayed, hurt, and crushed by people in this world. I feel you. I rest in knowing that you understand me, and I certainly hope that you rest in knowing that I understand you. I began this podcast with the intention of creating stories for my Eloise to listen to, to learn, and to understand, and to learn how to love. We've got a lot of women in this community who have stories to share and stories to hear. We have daughters to raise. We have sisters to lift up. We have seeds to sow. We have hearts to mend. We have healed girl shit to do. Welcome to season three of the Bee Podcast. Welcome back. It has been too long, but it feels so good to get back to recording all these incredible stories from women all over. I'm Cami Millican. I'm your host, and this very special season of the podcast is a keeper for certain. If you haven't already done so, please make sure that you go and listen to all of our prior episodes in season one and two on Apple Music or Spotify. Obviously, you know that if you're listening to this now. I cannot wait to share today's episode with you coming from Mariah Van Hemert. This story, you guys, I mean... Wow. Um, I sure hope that you have tissues in your car or office or wherever you may be listening. Her story is one that is definitely certain to stick with you. Um, as we start in, please be advised that today's episode does contain adult content, including physical abuse and sexual content. I cannot wait to get into this with you guys. So without further ado, here's Mariah's story. Mariah, thank you so much for being here. I am so excited to hear your story. Um, I totally just had some poor Mariah had to sit here for like 20 minutes while <laughs> I, <laughs> while I, oh my God, tried to get our technology situated because I haven't done this in such a long time. Okay, Mariah, thank you for being here. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Okay. So let's just start with you. All right. Um, give me a little introduction as to who you are. Um, what's your job? Talk to me about your family, your hobbies, your home. So I currently am a SPED associate within the district. Um, I love it. It's really rewarding. Um, I'm a mom of two beautiful children. Um, I have a daughter and son and I'm a wife. 
my hobbies are taking care of the children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> literally, they keep me so busy. If it's not wrestling, it's show choir or softball. I'm always hopping around. Um, but when I do get some downtime, um, I enjoy reading um, and baking if I have the opportunity. Okay, so let's take a little segue. What's your favorite thing to bake? What, what's your jam? My new favorite is pies, but I do love making Disney cinnamon rolls. They are the best. Did you say Disney cinnamon rolls? Yeah. Okay. So it's like a copycat from like uh, cinnamon rolls that they sell at like Disneyland. I am a fool because I do not know even what those are. It's just a cinnamon roll, but they're huge. And they're just like like made. Right. But they're made with like vanilla pudding and a whole bunch of added stuff and it they're so delicious okay we're gonna have to talk oh, after good. this about that because oh, that sounds delightful okay and can we back up for a second also because mm-hmm. i would really love to hear about I've, I've got so many questions about pies i'm a pastry girl myself do you enjoy like cream pies fruit pies like what what do you do i really enjoy a good fruit pie um specifically peach pie that's oh my, my god favorite. Yes, I love That's a so good peach pie. There's really and I better. love and I love now my son loves baking pies with me, so it's a really good bonding experience, like from making the dough and then he makes like little decorations for the pies. Oh it is my amazing. god, That's I love awesome. it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, yeah. that is so wonderful. Okay, yeah. so you were born and raised in Atumwa, right? Yes. Okay, Atumwa, Iowa. Um, And I am just really, really excited for you to share your story. Um, So now that we've got a little bit of of Mariah as the here and now, let's talk about the beginning. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about your your childhood, growing up, a general overview of your family? So Um, so I grew up in a house um, with my mom and my older sister. And that was after my parents divorced. Prior to that, we lived as a family unit in one home. Talk to me about some of the friendships you had as you were growing up. Did you have some um, friendships that you grew with? What did that look like? So growing up, um, it was really difficult for me to make friends because trusting people was really hard. Um, And I had um, a very serious armor on me. I didn't want anyone to uh, to hurt my feelings or I didn't want to open up. So making like friendships was really difficult. I had good friends in elementary school um, and I would go stay all night at their homes. I was always jealous of them. Um, I never felt like anyone would ever understand like my situation. The early nineties parents divorced was very rare um at least in my school um nobody's parents were divorced and so that was really difficult for me i remember the first time that one of my really good friends in elementary school we were sitting on the playground and she was crying and i said what's wrong and she said my parents are getting divorced and that was i felt for the first time, oh my gosh, like somebody's finally from a broken home. 
and that friendship lasted for a while. Then in middle school, we kind of all just drifted apart. Going to the middle school, when I was in elementary, everything was so close-knit, and now you're thrown into um, a group of kids that I had no clue who any of them were, so making friends was really difficult. Now, um, I have amazing friends, um, one spanning over two decades who has seen me through everything. My best friend, Samantha, is also my cousin, but um, she has seen me through amazing things and horrible times. Um, and I have some good friends throughout, but um, making friendships has always been difficult. Um, from kindergarten on, I did not like school. I did not want to make any friends. Um, I entered school very scared, um, very shut down from the get-go, from the get, from the start of my um, educational career. Because of what we're going to talk about. Yes. Okay. A hundred percent. Okay. All right. So, so let's start then. Um, describe the relationship that you've had with your mom. Um, my mom and I have always been very close. Uh, she was a single mom um, and she was raising myself and my sister. My sister has very complex health needs um, and uh, she did the best she could. Uh, she made our childhood um, the best she could. Um, I love Christmas today because of my mom. Um, Christmas was always amazing in our house, you know, whether we were making apple cinnamon Christmas ornaments or blasting music and making Christmas cookies or laying on the floor with a giant coloring book and watching Rudolph. Um, those memories, they weren't a lot, like they didn't cost much, but I remember them. Um, she never missed a school event. She was my mom and my dad and um, yeah, we've just always been close. Tell me about your relationship with your sister then. You talked about, uh, she's older, right? Yes, she is older. Okay. Um, so she was um, born with spina bifida, basically just missing part of her spine. Um, so that left her paralyzed from her mid-waist down. Um, along with spina bifida, she was born with hydrocephalus, which in layman's term is water on the brain. Club feet. Um, bowel, bladder, kidney problems. She was not expected to live. And in 1980, when she was born, things were just different medical-wise. So prognosis was not great at that time. Um, but my, And they honestly, I heard a recording that my grandma shared with me before her death. And it, I heard the doctor say, surgery isn't, shouldn't be the main priority because she's probably going to die anyways. Oh um, so that's how far we have advanced medically. Um, my sister was my built-in best friend. Um, and in a lot of ways, she is who, she is what made me who I am today. So you've still got a great relationship with your sister and your mom. Yes, still today. <laughs> that's awesome. And Christmas is coming up. So have you guys, sounds like you guys probably have everything planned already. Yes, um, <laughs> I have had for months. <laughs> that's awesome yes. that's so cool okay um 
So you talked a little about um, the relationship with your mom and your sister. Um, there is this phenomenon called the glass child effect. And I was curious to know, um, especially in the 1980s when you're growing up, um, were you born in 86, 85? 85, yeah. 85, okay. So um, did you kind of experience any of that um, glass child effect when you were younger, kind of like being over, kind of seen through as your mom, you know, kind of took care of your sister? So I did not know about that term until probably like 2018. And this is something that I really had to think about. Um, And when I thought about it, I think that I did experience that effect in some way. Um, There were times when my sister was um, in the hospital, like not even for just days at a time, like we're talking weeks at a time. And my mom being a single parent, her, her main priority was obviously to be with my sister. And although like I was never neglected, I was always taken care of. I went to my aunts or my grandparents, which I loved going to. I remember looking back, like when the lights would go off and it was dark, I would cry because I needed my mom. And um, I wanted her uh, and I didn't necessarily understand then why um, it was so important for her to not be there with me and be with my sister. Now I obviously look at it differently, but I did feel in some situations that um, I was overlooked um, because she did, my sister needed my mom more than I did. Um, I don't have any resentment towards either one of them, but I definitely did feel um, sometimes, I don't even know if neglected is the right word, but I needed my mom. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting to think about things as far as like in the past, like retrospect, thinking about how, yeah, it felt yucky in the moment, but then like you grow up and because you have a healthy relationship with your mom, you're able to be like, Oh yeah, that's why. And I understand now. Um, and I think, I think also because you're able to do that, Mariah, I think that speaks volumes about how great of a mom, like speaks well of your mom because you, I mean, it's not something that you're holding against or anything like that. Um, Let's let's talk. Okay, so let's talk about your mom and dad at the start. We talked and we had a previous conversation about your father and how um, the relationship is non-existent. Um, when did that break kind of happen for you? It's kind of complex here. Um, so visitation stopped when I was, I think, first or second grade. We would see him sporadically, but it was never like... Um, long stretch of a visitation um and then we would not hear from him for years and then he would go to prison and then a letter would come in the mail when i got pregnant with my oldest daughter he started to come around and i thought that um, my children deserved a relationship with him as a grandpa i thought maybe this is it He has made some changes in his life um, and I was able to set a boundary with him and let him know, you know, if you're under any kind of influence, um, you're not going to be allowed to be around your grandchildren. And he seemed to really understand and he acted like, you know, he wanted to be an active member of 
her life. And um, for a while, it went good um, until it didn't. And he started actively using again, and he is no longer a part of our life. So we're talking about some substance abuse um, and um, and some some other things. So let's talk about how your mom and dad met. Okay. So my dad was actually friends with um, a couple of my mom's brothers. So that's how they met because they went to different schools. Uh, my mom in Atumwa and my dad in Cardinal. And my mom was physically attracted to him. I asked her last night actually what attracted to him, um, her to him because they're polar opposites. And she said, looks, that's it. <laughs> um, and my dad, obviously I don't talk to him, but my, my mom honestly was a stunner in the 70s. Like if I could have looked at, like her at 17, <laughs> I would have, you know. But she was like Marsha Brady long blonde hair she was thin beautiful so i'm assuming that's what my dad would say is looks looks as well okay right um right <laughs> okay so how long did they date before they were married it was a very quick fast courtship um six months you know what that seems so normal like in mm-hmm. the like like late seventies, early eighties. That's like, it's like super normal. Right. Right. Um, so, okay. So how old were they when they got married? So they were a year out from high school. So like 19, I think my dad might've been 20. So they got married. Everything seemed to be like hunky dory. Um, then, okay. What year did they get married? Um, 79. And then, my sister was born in 1980. Can you kind of describe when the shift kind of changed or the shift kind of happened in his personality and his habits? So I talked to my mom and um, so she said that there were like red flags that she just kind of, he's young, uh, whatever. Um, then she said after they got married, some verbal abuse started, um, where just name calling. And she said that it wasn't until after she became pregnant with my sister that things became escalated. Uh, he hadn't hit her yet, but grabbing and name calling got even worse. So the pregnancy kind of escalated it. And she said she didn't know if it was like a jealousy thing that made things turn because she was pregnant, but um, it definitely got worse when she was pregnant with my sister. Okay. Can you describe, or do you know of some of the red flags that she noticed, but kind of? Um, name calling. Um, he was controlling. Uh, she, he wanted to know where she was going, um, who she was talking to on the phone, that sort of thing. Uh, and she just kind of contributed it to, he's young. Immature, yeah. yeah. Not a lot of, um, he'd never really been in a serious relationship before. Had your mom been in any sort of serious relationships prior to this? No, she said that she dated people on and off, but this was her first real, like, very serious relationship. I feel like it's pretty normal for uh, for people, especially in the 70s and 80s, to, you know, if you're, you're courting someone or, you know, it... 
usually ends in marriage was do you think that marriage was something that your grandparents would have like pushed on them or was it just expected no, no. Okay. I think that it was just the time that she like I think it was just the time period that they got married that everybody was getting married. Um, she said that, you know, all of her friends were already pretty much all of them were married by that point. And she was one of the last to get married. Isn't that wild that it is wild. shifted so much. Um, right. Right. So they began a family. Um, the, the pregnancy started, your mom was, I'm certain excited. Correct me if I'm yes. wrong. Um, but, but dad did not seem to, to, uh, reciprocate that. No. Um, she said that he would act excited, but she doesn't think that he was ever really truly excited. Do you think it has to do with him? Um, like the reality of what marriage is setting in? Yes. I think that's probably his thought process. Okay. Uh, maybe a little bit resentful, possibly. Right, so right. your sister was born in 1980s, 1980, and they became aware of her um, unique needs right when she was born. How do you think that this was an extra stress for your father that he possibly used to, um, or as an excuse? Yeah. So my mom said when my sister was born, that was the turning point. That's when things really got bad abuse wise and substance abuse wise do you know if do you know if after your sister was born if like things did get worse but I know that in um in abusive relationships sometimes there are ebbs and flows so uh, my mom said that um it somewhat got better that um the abuse definitely got more sporadic they would go like months without him hitting her um, but she did say that the, like the verbal and mental abuse just stayed, um, and she just kind of brushed it under the rug. Did your, do you know if your dad helped at all with your sister and her special needs that she had as a, no, as an infant? He, she, he did not. My mom was doing everything herself. Even when she was pregnant with me, she was taking, doing it all. Can you describe, or do you know your father's? Um, maybe what was or maybe what is still his um, substance of choice during those times? So during those times, um, it was strictly alcohol of any kind and marijuana. Okay, so let's fast forward. Your mom has been living in this um, maybe survival mode, taking care of your sister whom she loves and is dedicated to um, picking up all of the slack. Have you had conversations with her about um, what it was like when she became pregnant with you? Um, she was sad. Um, she didn't want to bring another child into the home. She didn't want another child to um, be brought into the chaos. She was sad. Can you talk about what you remember of um, of being at home with the four of you? So I don't remember a lot, actually. Um, and what I do remember um, is just pure chaos. Uh, my dad would drink every day, um, have people in and out of the house, um, partaking in illegal activities. Um, and I remember the fighting. That's what I remember the most. Um, 
yelling, screaming, hitting, punching, kicking. He did it all. And that is what I remember the most. Um, it was just pure chaos all the time. So you're witnessing this. Um, yes. Was was it just between them? Was it ever taken out on you or your sister? Not at this point. Um, it ha- that happened later. But um, when my parents were together, it was just strictly on my mom. Okay. So do you remember... Do you have any positive memories at all with the, with the four of you? Um, I know that there were positive times. Sometimes I will have like little snapshots, like little Polaroid memories of positive times, like at the racetrack or going to my grandma and grandpa's or one of my aunts and uncle's houses. Those were the good things that I remember, but I don't have a lot of positive positives that I remember are mainly just memories that my mom created whether it was making a homemade play-doh or painting something Um, but as far as all four of us together I don't have a lot of positive memories sure when did you become aware of your father's behavior being like an unsafe thing Um, I was so young that it was my normal Um, but I think that, I think around like three is when I knew, because my mom always said, would tell us, you know, you don't hit, you don't kick, you know, and then I would see my dad doing those things. And that's when I realized that, um, this is not good behavior. I would hear my mom cry and I knew that, um, it was bad. It was real bad. Well, and you're so young at this point. Um. Like, you know, like those physical, you know, those physical boundaries that like, like right. you said, mom is teaching you these things and you're witnessing, right. you're witnessing something else. My mom tried to shield us specifically, mainly from the marijuana. Um, and we knew what was happening. We knew that he was smoking something with his friends, but we didn't know what it was. And I think that my mom was scared to say, Hey, you know, what your dad's doing is illegal. Sure. Um, she, she tried to keep it from us, but I was a feral child. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there was no containing me. So I knew that they were all smoking something there and, you know, there'd be paraphernalia laying around and I didn't know what it was, but I knew that he was doing something. Okay. Um, and I knew, and I do, and I know that even as that a young child, I knew that whatever he was doing did change how he acted because when he was with his friends and smoking, you know, whatever he was smoking, he was not mean. So when his friends were over, um, and they were partaking, um, it was, it felt safer and it felt calmer. Um, he wasn't being mean. He was laughing. Um, so I didn't see it as a bad thing. Right. Because dad seems happier and he's not, Mm -hmm. he's not hurting mom right now. He's not yelling. Mm -hmm. But in the same, so in the same breath, when he was drinking, I knew that that was bad because dad would become a whole lot meaner. So even at that young age, you were able to pick like, okay, so smoking leads to happier dad and drinking leads to angry dad 
do you have a specific memory of, of, of knowing, um, when it was like a substance abuse issue for your dad? I don't think I really remember knowing that it was an issue until a little later in my life. Um, when I became aware of what drugs were, and then I realized that it really, that was my dad. My parents were already separated by the time that I became school aged. Okay. Um, but I was still very nervous to have anybody come into my home because it was just my mom and everybody else had a mom and a dad. And, um, I never spoke about my dad, uh, they just knew that my parents weren't together. Um, my mom was an amazing mom. My mom threw amazing parties for me when I was younger. And that meant slumber parties. It was the nineties. Everybody had a slumber party. And um, I always kind of felt sad because I knew that my slumber party looked different because my mom and my sister. Um, and then like I said, when I would go over to other people's houses for slumber parties, um, I was very envious. Like they, their family looked like the Brady Bunch to me. Um, I know now that that was not the reality for a lot of my friends, but to me as, you know, an elementary school age kid, um, they were, they were the Brady Bunch. They all had it together and they were lucky and um, I was very envious. Yeah. Did your mom ever have conversations with you about like when you were little, um, you know, I know that your, your parents split, uh, prior to school age, but, um, did your mom ever have conversations with you and your sister about like what dad was doing, trying to, you know, she talked to you, you talked a little bit about how she shielded you from it, but, um, did she ever have conversations with you guys about the abuse? When it was happening, she didn't ever talk to us about it. Um, she would go into the bedroom, cry, and come out, wipe her tears, and we would do something fun. Um, after she left my dad, um, by this point, I was old enough that I already knew that it was not okay. And it's odd because my mom never said a bad word about my dad after she left him. Never spoke in front of us, never spoke badly of him. I think she always knew that we would have our own opinion and we would be able to see him for who he is on our own. And she did not need to help us. That's amazing. Uh-huh. My um, dad, on the other hand, was not like that. Do you think that um, like a generational or like a patriarchal expectations play a role in how she responded? I think that she didn't want to fail. Right. Because again, we're, we're talking about like the eighties and nineties, like a divorce, like you were saying, that was not as common or not as widely accepted. She, she didn't have a career. She had a disabled daughter. I can't imagine thinking about leaving with all of that because who would get custody of of right of your sister yeah right okay you've just briefly talked in previous conversations about how things really escalated and led to your mom leaving 
Um, can you share this experience with us? Yeah. So, um, my sister had been in the hospital and that's where my mom was on this day was with my sister. I was at my grandparents' farm because my dad could not be bothered to take care of me. And he came that day to pick me up from my grandma and grandpa's farm. And I knew instantly that something was odd because he did not ever just come and get me. But my grandma made me go saying, you know, you have to go with your daddy. And how old were you at this point? I was four. Four. Okay. Um, I remember still thinking all the way home, like this was not right. And then I thought, well, surely mom's home because dad just doesn't take care of me on his own. And we got home and my mom was not there. Um, and a couple of days prior to my sister's hospitalization, my mom had made us Play-Doh. And it's so weird how like, you remember like itty bitty, like things that you shouldn't remember. But I remember that the Play-Doh was white because we had no food coloring. And I pulled the bag, the baggie that had the food coloring in, and our floor was carpeted in the living room, um, except for the entryway, and it had tile. And I was laying there with my Play-Doh, and I heard um, the city bus stop in front of our house. So I got up and um, was so excited because um, my mom was walking off of the big blue city bus stairs, and she was home. And it'd been a couple of days since I had seen her. And she got to the door and my dad obviously greeted her. And she didn't even greet to greet me. And um, it began. Um, it started obviously with just being in my mom's face. Um, there, screaming, yelling, calling her every name. Um, and then it started with full force punches to her face, um, knocking her down. He would continue to kick her, um, spitting at her, again, still screaming. Um, she got up and she tried to, we had a rotary bone hanging on our wall. It was yellow. And he seemed that she was staggering to the phone. And, uh, he ripped it off and threw it at her and knocked her out. And as she laid there, um, she was unconscious and he began to um, kick her head like a soccer ball. Oh my God. And at this point I'm screaming, stop daddy, stop. And I remember he just looked at me um, and not in a way that a parent would look and have concern, but he, there was no emotion behind his, his eyes. Um, and we lived in an older house and the doors um, were wooden and they are very heavy. And in his fit of rage, he somehow managed to rip the door off of the hinges and he threw it on my mom. And I knew that if I knew that it meant that my mom couldn't breathe. And 
my little self was trying to lift the, the door off my mom and it was continuing to yell and stop and help my mommy help my mommy um he didn't um she finally came to and was able to push the the door off of her um and then it was right back to kicking and punching and um standing over her and punching her head and knocking her in and out of consciousness and I just laid there because I thought my mom was dead. I kept trying to shake her and he ended up going into the other room and still yelling, but my mom came too. She looked at me and I didn't know it then, but looking back, it was a different look um, because my mom had tried to leave before and he, it's the circle of, of violence, right? Um, I love you, I'll never do it again, it'll get better. But this time, I, I, like I said, I didn't know it then, but it was a different look. She heard my dad go out the back door and she looked at me and um, grabbed her purse and grabbed my hand and we walked out the front door. Um, as we were walking to the sidewalk, my dad's best friend was walking up to the house and he said, he asked my mom, you know, what's going on? And my mom said, look at me. And my mom's eyes were swollen shut, um, blood everywhere, blood all over me. And he said, let's go in there and we can work this out. And for a second, I thought, we're going back in there. And, but my mom didn't. She did not look back. And when we reached the sidewalk, we ran. And I didn't know it then, but we were running for our life. In every sense of that word, running for our lives, we were running. And my mom did not look back. And we ran into um, an elderly neighbor's house and she called um, her cousin and she came and got us. And I remember they were shoving me in the floorboard. And I was so scared. And that's how she finally escaped after. Um, when I say brutal, it was it was very brutal. That is so heavy for a four-year-old to witness and then keep forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my God. Um oh my God. Um you said that once you got to your neighbors, they... We, she called her cousin and we got into like her cousin's car eventually when she got there. And they were shoving me into the floorboard so that um, my dad would not see us in the vehicle. So you're like, you're getting down so that you can yes. drive away. Yes. Can you describe your raw reaction to... Um, like getting to your neighbor's house? Um, I was still very scared. I thought that he was going to follow us. I didn't think that it would stop. Um, he didn't follow us, but I was still very scared. Yeah. When, when did it, when did it hit you that that was the last time? I think when we got to my great grandma's house, 
that's when it hit me that this was real because my mom had never sought out shelter from him before. Um, it was just leave for five minutes. He was able to, you know, sweet talk her back and we were back in the house. This time she actually for real left. And this time she for real called the police. I was just going to ask you, um, when the, like, when were the police called? What was, what was the result of that? Sadly, the, when my mom left my dad, um, domestic violence was not taken as seriously as it is now. Um, my dad did not serve a single second of jail time for what he did to my mom. And I have a lot of feelings about that. I don't like to talk badly about the police because I respect them. Um, but one of the arriving officers was one of my dad's very good friends. Um, so she never saw, and it makes me emotional for her, but my mom never saw any real justice come out of that situation. Did she file for divorce right away? Uh, I think that it was like the following day or the next day that um, she filed for divorce. Oh my God. I, that's was very amazing. Quick. Yeah. Yeah. While substance abuse continued to happen, did you and your sister still visit your father? How, what did that look like afterward? So we did. Um, uh, every other weekend, we had to go on visits with him. And I absolutely hated it. I knew that uh, he was doing things that weren't supposed to happen. Drinking and driving with us, one thing. Um, it scared me. Um, he would take us into bars and not just to eat, but he was taking us into bars to get intoxicated. And it made me feel so uncomfortable. I don't want to share my sister's story because that's her story to tell, but something very bad happened sexually in a bar with my sister um, and he allowed it. I would physically um, have response to not wanting to go with him. I would break out in hives. I would wet my pants. Um, I would have night terrors like for two days before that Saturday. I hated visits with him. It was never pleasant unless we were lucky and got to go to my aunt's house. Which it was his sister. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, did manipulation of your mom continue? Uh, did they really have any contact? So my dad tried to hurt my mom in any way she could, even he could, even after she filed for divorce. So, um, it didn't start right away because when we were living with my great grandma, he didn't do anything. But once she got on her feet and we got a little trailer house um, and he found out where we lived, breaking out car windows, slashing tires, um, smashing headlights, uh, stalking us, anything he could do to let it be known um, that he was there, he did it. Do you think that he understood that this was also terrorizing his daughters? I think he did, but he didn't care. There's no way he could have cared. Like, honestly cared for him to act the way that he acted. If he cared even a little bit for us, he would not have. 
do you have any ideas? I'm just, I'm just thinking, do you have any ideas of what prompted this in him? Like, do we know anything that happened to him when he was younger that would have caused him to, you know, react in such a way? As far as I know, he had a good childhood. I mean, my grandma and my grandpa were great people. You know, my aunts and my uncles all turned out nicely. So I'm not sure what happened. I, the only cause I can think of is substance abuse. I mean, he did bad things, um, but he wasn't abusive, like, until one specific day, then it did turn abusive. Um, I think I was like eight, seven or eight, um, and we were driving in this truck, um, and at this point, my my dad had went in, in and out of his life, um, a new girlfriend every weekend, and this woman had a fake leather skirt on and we were riding and one of my favorite drinks this is a, a positive memory from him is he always got me a sarsaparilla in the glass can well not cans but glass and bottle. it looked like a beer yeah or whatever and I loved that and I accidentally spilt it on this woman's fake leather skirt and my dad pulled over and I mean, there's no putting it any other way than other than he beat me. For spilling. spilling. Something. Mm-hmm. And this is on the side of the road, on the country road? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, yeah. He beat me. What did this woman do while he was doing that? Nothing. She sat in the car. Did you ever see her again? No. And, and, and then I mean, you just got, like, got back in the car. and Yeah, I got just... back in the car. And But this was, um, as terrible as it was, it was helpful to my mom. And helping right. me not have to go on visits anymore. Um, so <laughs> I had Mark Oliver, and my pediatrician was Dr. Heisman it still makes me a little um, emotional, but um, we went to see him that Monday. I still had marks and um, he did what he had to do. That's amazing. Um, My dad also, we had a process after that and he was court ordered for, you know, you need anger management classes and definitely substance abuse classes. And he obviously said, hell no. And that you know why would I do anything to see my kids and that ended that so then it's just been nothing since for for the most part for the most part yes any uh, do you ever mourn that you don't see him um sometimes um like when my children makes you know, achieve success. And, you know, um, I wish that he could be an active part of their life because he is missing out on two. I don't want to toot my own horns, but my kids are amazing. They are, and, and I can attest to that. <laughs> um, that makes me sad. 
Right. Um, but I realized that I cannot have that. I don't want my kids to ever know that chaos. And so I am grateful. Right. That they don't. Right. Do do your children have any desire to, I mean, have you shared this with them? Do they, do they have a desire to know him at all? It wasn't until recently where, I mean, because he was in and out of their life for a little bit. Um, you know, he would, when he was sober, he would show up. Um, and, but then, you know, things got really bad and I could see it. And I just said, please do not come back to my home. Um, and it wasn't until recently when, you know, they're older now and can understand when, They've asked me questions and um, I just was honest with them. And yeah. I think they appreciated that, that I could be honest. But before that, it was just grandma and grandpa are divorced. And that was that because that's a lot of, um, that's a lot to take in for a child. And I didn't want my trauma to bleed onto them. Right. Of course, because you're a freaking awesome mom. You went to school. I mean, this happened when you were prior to school age. So how did this affect you and your self-efficacy as you went into school? Well, I definitely didn't believe in myself. Um, I was very anxious, um, very shy, um, and scared to go to school. Um, I became, my mom never asked me to be her protector but I became my mom's protector. Um, I didn't want to leave her. If I was at school, I couldn't see her. I didn't know she was safe. And I was scared that because my dad was still doing crazy things like slashing my mom's tires and all of that. I was scared that he was going to come try to take me from school. It just wasn't a good time for me. Not only did you feel out of control when you had him, you felt out of control without him as well. Not only are you your mother's daughter, but you are your sister's protector. You are your mother's protector, right? Mm -hmm. So you have your, your experience is really unique because um, you do, I mean, you're not the oldest, but as far as, um, you know, being born into a protector's role, right? Like you have the sister who you take care of and you love dearly and you're making certain that she has everything that she needs, but then you've also adopted this role for your mom. And it's so interesting to think about how it's so very different the way that women love their husbands and girls love their dads. Like, right. Sometimes I think that, and I, and I, again, I think it believes on the relationship, but like, I don't know of a girl who wouldn't defend. I feel like girls, young girls are very discerning of the type of character that their father has. Right. And I feel like girls can tell. And so like, it's like those nuanced things that like this whole daddy's girl, I think that's, that is true for some people, but it is a different type of fire in a girl's eyes when she knows that her father is not safe, what she won't do for her mom. Right. A hundred percent. Because I think 
I would have done anything to protect my mom. Even at that young age, I would have done anything. Right. Anything. Yeah. Because I mean, you've had, you've had this experience. I mean, oh my God. Yeah. You've had this experience. It's true. Yeah. Um, you can like women can snip those things out even in their own father. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking also about how your body physically reacted to knowing that you were going to be with him. Your bot, like, I would be every fiber of your being knew. Right. This is, this is, this is not good. Yeah. I would be a solid like hide from head to toe. I actually had to have emergency medication for the hides because my body was just, go literally in freak out mode, like rejecting it, rejecting that this can't be what I'm going, because you've, how did that affect your mom? Um, what, I guess, what do you, how do you remember (coughs) that affecting your mom in your memory that can't have been Um, happy for her? That couldn't have been good for her. You could, she was very concerned. Um, and she sought out, um, you know, the help with, my pediatrician and then she was um she put my sister and I in therapy immediately after the divorce however I was so broken down that I refused to utilize therapy even as a young child um I didn't want to talk about it I was shut completely down I did myself a disservice because I could have used that but at that point I just didn't, I don't want to talk to anybody about it. Nobody. Of course. And I mean, I am not a therapist, but that makes sense to me to not want to really, I mean, you're, you're finally, you finally have a taste of like safety and peace. And then to, to like talk therapy, to like go back and kind of rehash all of those awful, terrible memories when you have something so precious like in the moment I can totally understand how you would not want to do that but also thanks mom for getting me the help that I needed you know like she like it was like a couple weeks after because obviously she had to wait on appointments and stuff but it was immediate she immediately um got us help I just did not utilize it well, okay, but give yourself a break if you were right. just so little. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, okay, let's fast forward a little bit. You said that you have a, a like a solid friend who has been with you for a couple decades now. Have you have you felt comfortable? When did you feel comfortable sharing your reality? Um, so my husband and I literally just had this conversation before I logged in here and um he said, I don't even know a lot of this. So um, I have never really, this is the first time I've ever sat down. You're the first one, Cammy, to hear it all, um, laying it out. Um, I had a breakthrough, however, 2020 happened and COVID happened. And I was working retail and my store was shut down and my grandma at that time was very ill. And so my kids and I would go stay all night with her. And one night, two o'clock in the morning, we were watching her favorite show, Naked and Afraid. And she just <laughs> it's randomly. So good. It's <laughs> yeah. so good. Um, she loved that show. One night, I don't even know how it happened, but she said, um, I'm sorry. And I said, For what? And she said, For not ever stepping in. 
She said, I want you to go into the closet and there is a blue spiral notebook. And my grandma journaled like every single day. My grandma journaled her whole entire life, like starting young. And so I gave it to her and she flipped through and she handed me the journal and it was dated the day that my mom left my dad. The page was full of sadness and regret. We had a breakthrough moment and she said, um, you never talk about it. I said, no. And she said, you, it's time. And um, that was kind of my breakthrough. And my my husband is um, an over the road truck driver. And it was a couple weeks after that breakthrough moment with my grandma and driving down a random interstate one night, I just let my husband have the story of the last day and it felt really great to be honest and to let to let it out and to actually talk about it um so I owe my grandma that night a lot of credit because she told me to heal myself I need to let it out because it is it was like a poison and I hadn't healed It's not like you stuck your hand into the snake's pit. Like, you know, you didn't, you didn't do anything to deserve anything that you witnessed or experienced or, or, you know, were the victim to, like, you didn't do anything, but you were like completely unprovoked. You were bitten by the snake. um, Right. And then you've, you've had this, you've had this, like, just like festering do you think your body reflects all of the trauma that you have experienced and in the same way does your body has your body responded if if at all how's your body responded to you exhaling all of it I think for a really long time um I suffered from anxiety um I think that was my body's way of just dealing with things. It wasn't really dealing, but I was very anxious all the time, just super anxious. And, um, after I had the conversation with my grandma and just being a hundred percent honest with her and then hearing her viewpoint, that's when I think that I was like, I can breathe now because I can tell people and it still makes me anxious. Like before doing this podcast, I, after we had, you know, spoke, I had a lot of um, anxiety. I didn't want to, it wasn't that I didn't want to do it, but I am always scared of hurting other people. Like some of my dad's family mean a lot to me and I don't want them to ever be offended by it. And a friend said to me, what are, you know, what's your, uh, holdbacks and I said I don't want to hurt anybody and they said well it's been hurting you for a very long time and this process may be healing so far it is good um this is nice to be honest it feels good to let it all out you have done an excellent I mean sharing this uh I also think it's interesting that I mean not only are you protecting your mom and your sister, you're protecting your family. Mm-hmm. Like your, what sign are you? Are you 
September 15th. I'm a Virgo, baby. I literally, that's my birthday. I'm a Virgo. Yeah. <laughs> literally, we have the same birthday. I was Mariah. Yeah. Same birthday. Yeah. And I want to say, and you don't have to add this, but the day that my parents, my mom left my dad, um, uh, the big thing for me, for my grandma and my mom was how do we keep Mariah safe? Um, my sister was in the hospital and so they could keep her safe, but how were we going to keep Mariah safe? And, um, I went to a farm and it was my mom's great aunt and uncle's house. I had no clue who they were. It was your grandma and grandpa. I was just going to say, I was just going to say it was, it was grip. It was grandma Nita and grandpa Dean, wasn't it? And yeah. And I, that was the first good night's sleep that I had. really With it, it has taken a lot of healing um, I knew that when I found out I was pregnant with my daughter, I knew that I never wanted my children to know that kind of chaos. So I've worked really hard to be a good mom. Um, I've worked really hard to not let my trauma bleed onto my relationship with my husband. It took a lot of work though in the beginning because I did not trust him. I thought for sure it was going to turn bad. And it was, honestly, it was rocky for a little bit and my own doing just because I didn't fully trust him. After I started healing a bit though, things got a lot better and my kids don't know the chaos. And that was the most important thing. Do you feel as though your relationship with your husband has been different since kind of sharing this part of your life? Yeah, I think he knows all of me now, not just some of me. I mean, he knew bits and pieces, but he didn't know everything. Um, and now it's just, I think he understands me a little bit more. Like, cause I still sometimes get really anxious and um, I worry a lot sometimes. And I think now he understands that that's just part of who she is. And now I know why she is this way sometimes right why why you know you have the reactions that you do which is like and I'm very I'm very I'm an emotional person like I will cry at a Hallmark movie and (laughs) I think that that's because of my childhood and I think that now he understands you know just certain aspects of you know now I know why she is the way she is well, it hits you right in your feelings. Right. Right. Uh, so it seems as though you've been able to heal um, over time. Um, and then especially recently, you know, finally sharing it. Um, what advice would you give to those who are in the midst of living with an abusive caregiver, but maybe unsure of how to... Um, proceed um it's different than it was when my mom left I mean when my mom left um there weren't advocates and um the legal system wasn't always necessarily on your side right um it was a different time um 
I still feel like we have a long way to go when it comes to domestic violence, but now we have advocates and we have some shelters. Um, I would encourage anyone who is going through it to be open, find your safe person and be honest. Um, that's something that my mom never did. She was never honest. Um, my, like I said, my grandma knew what was happening and didn't do anything. But um, my mom never was honest about the situation. And I think finding a safe person and being honest is so important so that someone knows, hey, this is what's happening. And I will be there for you. I don't think even if my grandma had spoke up, like, you need to, you need to get out of there, that my mom would have left. Um, but I think had my mom, had my grandma said, you know, I know what's happening my mom probably would have felt a little more comfortable in leaving um, or knowing that she at least had a safe place. Well, and these situations are so delicate because it is, it's not on anyone else's time frame. Right. Right. So, I mean, cause my mom had left 15 times probably prior to, you know, the big decision of leaving and because it is a circle of, it is a circle of abuse. You know, they do something and then it's, oh, I love you. Oh, I'm sorry. I will never do this again. And they wrap you up and then the circle starts all over again. Um, so it, and that is one thing that kind of frustrates me when I hear people say, well, why doesn't she just leave him? Well, because it's not that easy. It's, you think it's easy, but when you're in the circle of violence, it is not that easy. Right. I mean, what a privileged thing to assume, you know, just, right. I mean, what's the big deal? Yeah. It's ridiculous. Right. Um, so you have shared so much of your heart and I am so very thankful for this interview. I am so thankful that you are my first interview of, of the season three. I just think that this is going to be so great for people to hear because as we know, Buffalo County has one of the highest rates of domestic um, violence in the state of Iowa. Um, and I think it is a quiet uh, sort of need that we have. I feel like mm -hmm. more people than we realize are facing this. And so I just want to say thank you um, for sharing your heart. Um, is there anything else that you want to talk about? No, I don't think so. Um, I just hope that if anybody's listening and they are going through it, that they know that there are safe places and you can always find me on Facebook. Um, I will be your safe place. Thank you. Oh my gosh. And I am so, I just feel so honored that you shared this um, because I know that it has been so very private for you um, for lots of reasons. I mean, survival mm -hmm. being one of them. Mariah, I just want to say thank you for being here today and sharing your story. I have loved having this conversation. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. There you have it. The very first episode of season three of the V podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Make certain that you follow us on our socials on Facebook and Instagram at the V podcast and share this episode with your friends to bring awareness to this project. See you later guys. <laughs>